Welcome to this episode of the Telco Talks podcast series, focusing on topical issues in the telecommunications industry. I'm Dipti Govind, a technical accounting manager in the PwC South African practice, and I will be your host. Our aim is to keep you up to date on key accounting issues in the telecommunications industry. Joining me in the studio today is Renita Dwarika, a technical accounting partner specializing in the telecommunications industry in our PwC South African practice. Welcome to the podcast studio, Renita. Hi, Dipti. It's great to be back. IFRS 16 remains a hot topic. So in today's episode, we are going to speak about IFRS 16 and its interaction with an existing standard being IS 36, Impairment of Assets. One of the aspects of the transition to the new leasing standard that has proven to be quite challenging in practice is the consideration of the impact that IFRS 16 has on an entity's impairment model. So Renita, to start off, could you tell us what impact IFRS 16 has on IS 36? Well, hopefully by now, we all know that IFRS 16 has had the biggest impact on lessees, which has resulted in most lessees recognizing a right-of-use asset and a lease liability on the balance sheet. Now, this right-of-use asset is subject to impairment testing under IS 36, and here some challenges do arise, particularly for our discounted cash flow modeling. Based on IS 36 and my understanding of impairment, as is the case with all non-financial assets, is that it needs to be determined at what level the testing of the assets should be performed. That's right. So IS 36 requires what we call a bottom-up approach to impairment testing. And basically, it's a two-step process. The first step is to test the individual asset or alternatively the cash generating unit or CGU if the recoverable amount of that individual asset cannot be determined. The second step is then to test the CGU or group of CGUs including any goodwill. Now typically a right of use asset does not generate cash flows that are independent of other assets. And in those circumstances, the right-of-use asset is then grouped within the CGU to which it belongs and then tested for impairment. That's a great start. But before we get into the detail of the interaction between the two standards, could you perhaps give us an overview of the impairment model and broadly what should be considered? Sure. Um, IS 36 has two methods to calculate the recoverable amount. The first method is our fair value less cost of disposal, and the other one is our value and use approach. Now, the fair value less cost of disposal model is essentially an external market participant approach, whereas the value and use approach is an internal management perspective. Now, generally, for the fair value less cost of disposal uh, model, we wouldn't expect there to be much change because of the introduction of IFRS 16. And this is because it is not expected that the CGU is worth more or less simply because you have now recognized a right of use asset and lease liability on your balance sheet. The biggest impact is in relation to your value and use model. 
So we will focus the rest of the podcast then on the value in use model. Could you perhaps walk us through the I-16, I-36 interaction considerations by way of an example? Yes, certainly, Dipti. Examples always work best. So let's assume we have an operator, we'll call it Operator D, who generates revenue from providing network services. And Operator D has a large network asset base, including base stations, property plant and equipment, and even some goodwill. Now, the operator also leases some of its towers. So for these leases, it will have a right-of-use asset and a lease liability on its balance sheet. Now, it could be argued that the smallest group of assets that generate independent revenue streams for operator D is the integrated network, and therefore that it is the entire operation of operator D that is the single CGU. So now that the CGU has been identified, which includes the right-of-use asset, let's start with the value-in-use model. Okay, so post IFRS 16, the carrying amount of the CGU tested will be different uh, to the pre-IFRS 16 carrying amount. And this is because uh, there is now a right-of-use asset which is included in the CGU. It's important to remember that uh, the lease liability, however, is excluded from the carrying amount of the CGU, and that is because it is a form of financing, and the value-in-use model requires cash flows from financing activities to be excluded from the carrying amount of the CGU. Are there any other considerations for the value-in-use calculation? There certainly are, quite a few actually. Um, so IS, the, the first thing is that IS36 requires that we compare like with like. Uh, and what this means is that uh, the same principles that we use when we determine the carrying amount of the CGU should be used to calculate uh, the recoverable amount of the CGU. So the first thing we need to remember is because we have excluded the lease liability in calculating the carrying amount of the CGU, we need to ignore the lease payments uh, when we calculate the value in use. Uh, but it's important to remember that cash flows for future variable lease payments, short-term and low-value leases that are not included in the lease liability should then be reflected in the cash flows. The second thing is, if you think about the right-of-use asset that is included in the carrying amount of the CGU, basically it reflects the lease payments that is made over the lease term. And therefore, in calculating the value in use, we then need to determine the cash outflows that is required to replace this right of use asset at the end of the lease term and the implications on the terminal value. And if you think about it, this is actually similar to what we would have historically done for maintenance capex outflows. The last thing we need to think about is the discount rate. So the projected value in use cash flows are then discounted at a pre-tax discount rate, reflecting a market assessment of the capital structure of the entity and also the risk specific to the asset or the cash generating unit. A number of things to consider then. So what does one need to consider in terms of cash flows to replace the right of use asset? 
So basically, in order to preserve the economic value of the CGU, one needs to include cash flows which cater for replacement of uh, equivalent lease assets. And therefore, payments for anticipated new leases should be considered as replacement investments. So basically, cash outflows. And therefore, it is important that the reinvestments in the lease assets are adequately forecasted for. And as a result, additional data collection will be required in this respect. It is quite clear that replacement cash flows and the impact on the terminal value require some extra consideration. Are there any further considerations in relation to the discount rate? In terms of the discount rate, um, as I mentioned previously, IS36 requires one to use a pre-tax rate uh, because it is a value-in-use model, uh, and that pre-tax rate should reflect the risk specific to the entity. Now, most entities use their weighted average cost of capital as their starting point, and your weighted average cost of capital basically uh, is made up of a cost of debt and a cost of equity. Now, post IFRS 16, your cost of debt and the cost of equity has not changed. However, the capital structure of the entity has changed because we now have a lease liability on the balance sheet. And as a result, this cost of the leasing debt and its weighting needs to be considered in deriving an appropriate discount rate. That is quite helpful. So if we move back to our example, in the event of the calculation resulting in an impairment of the CGU, that impairment needs to then be allocated to the assets within the CGU. Are there any insights on this for our listeners? Sure, Dipti. So what needs to be kept in mind here is that uh, the impairment is not directly allocated to the right-of-use asset, uh, but rather IS36 has what we call a waterfall approach. Uh, in our example of Operator D, the first step would be to allocate the impairment against any goodwill in that CGU. And here, the important thing to remember is that uh, any impairment loss on goodwill cannot be subsequently reversed. Now, once you've allocated the impairment loss against the goodwill, um, to the extent that there is a remaining impairment loss, then that impairment is allocated to the other assets in the CGU. And this is done on a pro rata basis based on the carrying amount of each of the assets in the CGU. In doing that allocation, um, it's important to remember that each asset should only be written down to the higher of its recoverable amount, so its fair value, less cost of disposal, and its value in use, or zero. So, Renita, from what you are saying, if a particular CGU has an impairment, it is likely that the entire impairment will not be taken against the right-of-use asset. Yes, that's spot-on, Dipti. What should further be kept in mind is that if an impairment loss is not fully allocated because the assets do not have sufficient value to absorb that charge entirely, then a liability is only recognized to the extent that a definition of uh, the definition of a liability is met, and this is generally quite rare in practice. Okay, so now that we've touched on the value and use calculation, as well as the allocation of impairment, 
Is there anything else that needs to be considered when thinking about impairment losses? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of things to consider. Um, the first is that after being written down to its recoverable amount, an asset continues to be depreciated. And linked to this then, uh, it's important that the useful life of the asset needs to, in some instances, be revisited. So in short, entities should consider the economic useful life of assets, particularly when there has been an impairment. It is quite clear that the adoption of IFRS 16 needs to be considered carefully with other standards, specifically IS 36. Thank you for sharing these very useful points with our listeners. Are there any final thoughts, tips or messages that you may have for our listeners? So my parting thoughts would be that, you know, firstly, the adoption of IFRS 16 has overall had a huge change for entities uh, from an accounting perspective, as well as a data collection perspective. Uh, the IS 36 element also requires collation of information, both market and non-market related. Uh, secondly, this requires entities to make more estimates and judgments than they potentially had done in the past. Uh, and this leads us back to our old friend, Disclosures, which is now expected to be more robust, incorporating more sensitivities, disclosures on assumptions used, as well as estimates. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us, Renifa, and sharing some very useful information. Thank you for having me. Listen out for our next podcast, where we will be discussing the latest ISB amendment to IFRS 16 on rent concessions.